Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydoke, get a friend to choose a Doctor Who story and secretly nominate their favourite things about it. I have to watch, commentate along and see if I can guess what those favourite things are. Hi, Toby. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this podcast. I am very honoured to be here talking about one of my favourite stories of all time. When Toby first emailed me, the first thought came to my mind was, I want to do the Romans. And I was so happy no one had done it yet. For episode one, I have chosen a scene. And for episodes two, three and four, I have chosen dialogue. So good luck, Toby. Well, hello, everybody. I'm about to let you in on a conspiracy, which is the title of episode three of The Romans. I'm in two minds about this. Josh Snares, who you heard introducing their choice of story to uh, conjure for happy times and places, has let me know that they chose a scene for episode one, lines of dialogue for episodes two, three and four, and a scene for their overall thing. And I chose Derek Francis as Nero last week just because I wanted to acknowledge him. But should I take this seriously, there's still a chance if I get this week's line, next week's line, and the scene, which I have an inkling of what it might be, but I could be totally wrong, just because I like the scene. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an obvious standout. Um, and it's in this episode, so I will be talking about it. Do I go for that or do I do my you know, sort of anal mind thing of going, no, I have to make sure the things that I want to acknowledge get acknowledged. Otherwise, they they, they, they will not be etched in history, <laughs> which I, I'm aware is ridiculous. Um, but anyway, let's see. Uh, the description on Britbox says, prepare plans to poison Barbara, who has become the object of Nero's affections. Yes, indeed. Uh, so there's a lot to digest here, uh, but try not to do it with the poison that's being thrown about as we uh, eavesdrop on a conspiracy in three, two, one. So here we are. It's quite a long episode, this one. It's uh, it's over. It's over the 25. It's 26 minutes and a little bit long, so one of the longer episodes of Doctor Who. And I remember, remember being daunted by that because I think for the commentary we'd had uh, Nick Evans and Barry Jackson in part one and then we lost Nick at the end of part one and then we lost Barry just into part two and then episode three. So I'd already done a couple of episodes. It was just it was just uh, um, Ray Cusick, Christopher Barry and William Russell remaining. I'd got I'd got fewer people for the longer track uh but you know what's a minute and a half amongst friends um so yes that's the stock footage of the lions uh and here we are now uh in the because i like this opening shot I'm, I'm presuming that bbc had lots of these uh sort of pillars and things you know to call upon that's that's the great thing when you have uh you know uh, a <laughs> That's very funny, poor old Tigellinus, who I adore. We will talk about Tigellinus. Well, you know, when you have a, a, a corporation that has, you know, places to store scenery and the ability to reuse stuff, it's a great use of the nation's artistic resources. And uh, now that the BBC is not a programme maker really anymore and doesn't have that infrastructure, uh, I think we lose out. I think we also lose out on the fact that you had, you know, artisans you had makers you had designers you had people under contract uh who who learnt their trade um 
and through that learning and education that poured that back into the artistic endeavor and output of the country uh, and even if people then left the corporation they went into movies uh, and that's why we've punched above our weight in terms of television and movie production uh, over over quite a long period of time uh, so I'm sad we don't have that infrastructure uh, we still make great telly and great movies um, uh, but uh, I, I certainly think it was no accident that having a you know a pro program making hub um, that ha that had resources that could be you know marshalled and could be you know used economically because the cost was amortised over years and different productions and blah 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 uh, is a helpful thing which is why the BBC has always been sort of renowned for being very good at costume drama because it had such a you know history and experience and resources. To, to pull them off and of course Doctor Who decides to go well we'll do a costume drama and we'll be daft look at the perspective in that uh, corridor it's obviously not that long but it's a it's a cheat with a little bit of stuff at the end so there's lots to talk about here Derek Francis is great Tigellinus I think he's credited in this episode he's just Tigellinus last episode but I'm sure oh boom I saw a boom come into shot um, I'm sure he's credited as Tigellinus open brackets cup bearer close brackets he is played by Brian Proudfoot who is I think giving a wonderful comic turn here uh, and is it his only it's his only credit in Doctor Who even though he returns in the chase uh, where his paperwork credit is walk on Iridian, i.e. he's an Iridian. I think he gets exterminated, who who has no dialogue or anything like that. But uh, he's he's killed, uh, but he's a non-speaking supporting artiste. Um, and he's also more important than that. He is Doctor Who. He is the first person, yes, the first person, I think, to... Double for William Hartnell. He is the guy that wanders through the poplar trees and across the fields in the reign of terror for those filmed sequences to show the Doctor uh, travelling through France uh, when William Hartnell was not going to go all the way onto location to achieve those. So Brian is the first person to play Doctor Who who isn't the actor playing Doctor Who. Um, I'm pretty certain there's nobody else in any other episodes prior to that. No, that, that's right. Um, uh, and here we have uh, Tavius having Barbara. I was very pleased to see in the BBC's internal report that uh, Jacqueline Hill's performance was complimented by Kenneth Adam, big BBC boss guy uh, for episode two, because she is excellent. Um, of, of course, part of this thing is I see Ian and Barbara as kind of mum and dad a bit. You know, they were the older companions. They were companions before I was born. Um, and of course, Jacqueline Hill here is younger than I am now, but I still look at her and, and she's beautiful. And I'm not saying she 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 looks older than she actually is because she, she doesn't. But she will always be older to me because Barbara is older than me and considerably older than me in terms of, you know, when you're a youngster watching these programmes, most of the companions are a bit closer to your age. But, you know, Ian and Barbara were grown-ups. Um, they were teachers as well. So I will never, even though this woman I'm looking at is, you know, 14 years, probably 14 years, yeah, younger than I am now, she's still she's still a maternal figure to me. That She's, she's stunningly beautiful. I think she's an excellent actress. I love Jacqueline Hill. I never had the pleasure. I have been to the house that she lived in when she was doing Doctor Who because her... Uh, her husband Alvin Rakoff still lives there and I had the pleasure of visiting him uh, a, a few a few short years ago beautiful house that they have um, 
uh, and she was of course uh, lived lived near the Briarses. She was best mates with uh, Richard Briarses' wife Anne Davis, who passed away this year, sadly, last year just gone. Um, now this gets very silly now, the Romans, and I I love it. I mean, you know, the the, the serious mind. I have heard people going, "Oh yeah, but he's he's trying to sexually assault Barbara." There's nothing funny about that. I mean, you can you it's it's obviously ridiculous. I don't think it's trying to make light of sexual assault. It's it's a farce. It's a it's a it's a it's a form of comedy. You can you I, I, I sexual assault is something I take very seriously and would always roundly condemn, but also think in a ridiculous heightened situation. Just in the same way as you can be funny about death, as we will be later on. I think death is a terrible tragedy. I take it very seriously. I write obituaries. I'm I don't I don't have a a, a, a sense of humor you know when somebody dies I, i'm i'm not one of those people to make jokes about it i think that's quite disrespectful but you can still have a funny death scene if you're in a heightened farcical uh, construct um but yes you could equally be very serious if you want to go but actually um, make it making light of um sexual assault is actually very bad and you go y- yes uh, it it is but context is all and i think and i i don't think anything that happens here would in any way increase the likelihood of sexual assault on anybody but then again i'm not somebody that's ever been sexually assaulted there might be people watching this who've had a bad experience who might be triggered by it so who am i to comment it's a it's a very tricky area um but but i i i am able to you know leave any real world concerns i may have about such things at the door and go this is daft and silly and and uh, we're not supposed to take the sexual assault element of it seriously, uh, as ridiculous as that sounds. So I'm not sure I've convinced myself. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Um, this is Antirad. It's the Seeker. It's the Seeker from the Rebos operation. Uh, and uh, I, I, oh, that's a great, that's a lovely little, very simple effect, but it's great fun. Uh, Maureen O'Brien is absolutely reveling in the kind of funny looks and uh, double takes and all of that. She She's great at this. That is a great set, that perspective set. It's really well done. I mean, he's such a loon. And Tigellinus is so annoying. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Brian Proudfoot, um, he is sad. We, um, for, for ages, there seemed to be no trace of him. He is dead, I think. Uh, he was a South African Um I've actually found a portrait of him, a painted portrait of him that was for sale. Um, uh, uh, but uh, yes, it, we sadly he uh, we we never got to uh, uh, you know touch base with him and find out his story. So uh, he's he's a name, and we have a face because he appears in in these two episodes. But there's uh, there's not much known about the the first um, pretend doctor, uh, whereas of course William Hartnell we know an awful lot about. Uh, uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy this. I mean, this is just sort of da- it's daft, isn't it? Um... <laughs> Maximus, go away! That's very, <laughs> that is very funny. Um, and oh, and Papaya, of course, is uh, Kay Patrick, who has directed many an episode of Coronation Street. Uh, she's a highly regarded director of Coronation Street, who. Um, took her final bow 
on the set with the with the death of the very popular character Haley. She directed that very key episode because she's a she's a director that was very much liked by the actors and you know you know an, an, an actor's director it's a phrase we know if we're Doctor Who fans that we've heard certain people described as but she's also a, a favourite actor uh, actress of Christopher Barry um <laughs> I mean this is just this is there's nothing quite like this in Doctor Who this uh this you know yeah high farce uh ridiculous and they're all playing it very well um <laughs> Uh, Kay is wonderful. She's she lives not far from here. She's in fact she has sat on the sofa I'm sitting on now. She's been here for supper. Uh, she was a she was a good friend of Christopher Barry who casts her again in the Savages. Uh, and in fact she gave me her scripts from the Savages and a couple of pictures. Which had, is that Bill Burridge in the background? Is that Mister Oak? I'll have to look at my notes. It looks like he might be. Um, uh, not Mister Oak. Mister Quill. Um, now is this the is this the gladiatorial uh, arena? There's there's some not great sword fights in this. Good stuntman and fighter ranger though Peter Diamond was, and you know Doctor Who's budget really shows at the gladiatorial arena, doesn't it? So there's Dorothy Rose Gribble. She said she, that was the that was the screen grab I got her to sign on that shiny photo with the metallic pen that just faded. Um, yeah, bless her, and I, I'm sure she said she'd got a. She's got a pimple on her nose. She was very self-conscious about filming this episode. It's amazing the things you'd remember after 50 years, you know. Do you remember any of your colleagues? Not really, but I remember being a bit self-conscious about my nose. That's exactly how I would be. <laughs> um, he's got a little bit of stubble there, hasn't he? He's he's rather sexy, isn't he, uh, uh, William Russell? And the, the, the stubble becomes him. It's a great look for Ian, this sort of, this, you know, hot Roman prisoner thing. And I say this is a... Whose legs are these? What is... Is this... Uh, I don't remember this bit. Have, have I suddenly gone to a different... To a red-hot channel? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, oh, so they were direct front... That's a... That, is that the closest close-up we've ever had of... A man's legs in... Naked legs in Doctor Who? Um, <laughs> oh, dear. The, poor old... Poor old... Uh, Near, you, you see, this this is that's that's basically you know we're we're going to see a man so you know he's threatening a man with a sword you know and and in Roman times we know that you know threat of death was imminent but you know it's it's ridiculous um, he's a he's 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 a yes there is danger in this episode of Doctor Who because it is a drama but uh, oh look um, I've said my piece. Um, uh, uh, ha, sort of top. This is there's quite a lot of male flesh on display in uh, in uh, in in this episode. Hartnell Hartnell was just a towel over his shoulders. This is like Doctor Who after dark. It's like those it's like those episode of Hollyoaks, which you know, which were late night. Where, I don't know if you remember that it was late night Hollyoaks, which was like like normal Hollyoaks, but with bottoms and showers. Um, so <laughs> I I love the way that uh, the Doctor. So, sort of manipulates uh, Nero. There's a there's a sort of joyousness in in uh, in in the in the in the comedy first Doctor who uh, you know has a, has has an awful lot of fun uh, playing the fool 
so well you know he plays he plays nero like an instrument actually you know he he manipulates him in order to outwit him uh but it's there's there's great fun to be had in in all of the doctor's intelligence it's a pesky intelligence um and Vicky hiding under a table. I love that. There's lots of hiding under tables and beds and behind curtains. I mean, it's you know, it's it's you know, it's blatant in what it's trying to do here. It's as daft as a brush. Um, uh, and so yeah, Kate. Uh, here's here's Kay. Uh, Kay Patrick. Oh, she's just gone again. Uh, as as uh, prepare, um, who uh, yeah had a had a good acting career, but then went on to be a, a television director. Uh, and is a lovely lady, uh, and she's written a novel relatively recently. Um, but uh, yeah, she's uh, she's a good egg, and uh, I, 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 there's something. There's a little part of me that goes, "Oh, somebody from Doctor Who's been at my house," um, which I rather like. Um, but she was supposed to be on the commentary. For, I was supposed to met her much much earlier because she was supposed to be on the commentary for this. But she was run over by a unit car on the set of Coronation Street. It made the papers and everything, and she was she was quite badly injured. She needed, um, I think, a knee rebuilding and a and a and a pin put in somewhere because uh, yeah, a unit car rather carelessly uh, backed into her. So uh, we we didn't have her on uh, on the commentary, um, which uh, which was rather a sh- sh- I mean, obviously, it was a bigger shame. Uh, she's, she's beautiful, isn't she? As well, um, it's a. Uh, 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 you know, it's more of a shame that she got hit by a car than she wasn't on the Romans commentary. But, but nonetheless, uh, I I love the rapport that the Doctor and Vicky have. She's she's got a real enthusiasm and engagement uh, that is rather infectious and makes you enjoy the adventure. And he's clearly having a whale of a time hooting his way through the frivolity. Um, and Jacqueline Hill is is doing what good comedy requires which is somebody to sort of soak up all the ridiculousness and uh, and and she is playing the laughs but she's not mugging uh you know because you can't have everybody doing the same thing otherwise it becomes a sort of cacophony of of uh, you know applause seekers um so she she needs to sort of maintain a certain bit of dignity and composure uh the Tigellinus stuff, the Tigellinus they're giving, 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 because we've got the poison chalice as well. So we have the, uh, that's uh, that's the other part of this episode. You've not only got the sort of farcical chasing and the people missing each other, you've got the old, the old staple of, uh, you know, exchanging goblets and poison. And of course, the, the hilarity of that is that some poor wretch loses their life. And so we have a very unusual thing for Doctor Who, we have a comedy death, and I, as I say, I don't, I don't really like, you know, humour that is, um, that takes death lightly. I, uh, uh, because I, I don't know. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the Grim Reaper. I don't know why it is, uh, and I, I like reverence. I like paying homage to people that, uh, that that have passed on, and and to, to mark that occasion with you know, with dignity and with reverence. But also, you know, I like a good joke. Uh, and and a good joke uh, is, is you know, a good joke is a, is, is, is a positive thing. Most people who are trying to make you laugh are trying to, you know, generally laughter improves your day. Having a sense of humour about things, uh, di- you know, disarms 
the deadly, the dangerous, the upsetting, uh, and sort of makes us what we are, having a sense of humour. And look, <laughs> great, great comedy look there, Brian Proudfoot. Great comedy death, great reaction, horrible reaction from Nero that he was right. But I love the look that Brian Proudfoot gives before he expires. It goes against all my instincts that uh, to have a comedy death anywhere, to have certainly to have a comedy death in Doctor Who. And yet, despite the fact it goes all against my instincts and my tastes, it's so well done that I absolutely love it to pieces. Um is you know we we allow we allow things to to happen if well I don't know I think I allow things to, I, I I'm I accept things that might go against what I would normally go for if within the context of what they're doing and in their execution they are uh, you know consistent and good and I and I think that is I think it's a a lovely piece of acting from Brian Proudfoot it's a very wittily done scene um, even though in real life I would I, I would find that to tasteless but it's not real life it's a silly episode of doctor who um uh derek france is getting to eat i'm not sure i've ever that's not a way to eat grapes really i i mean i know he's showing that nero is a glutton but uh i wouldn't want to eat grapes like that you get you'd get the stalks in your gob um so, so we've, we've had the comedy death which you see would be my now i don't know if that's going to be josh's scene for the whole of the story because uh, it is a great scene. It's, but it's a moment, really, more than a scene, isn't it? But it's certainly not a piece of dialogue unless he goes, oh, he was right. But no, because that, that's the dialogue is there, is is within the context. It's not the dialogue that's the that what makes that work. It's it's what the dialogue is a, is a response to. Um, so what is the line of dialogue that... Uh, that Josh is after, but uh, you know this recreation of Rome. It's, uh, it's, it's because uh, I I studied Latin when I was younger, but uh, but I, I wasn't used to seeing Rome being a sort of. Did, I don't know if you saw the 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 mini series Rome that uh, well it wasn't really a mini series that was that was on what ten fifteen years ago, um, which really showed that uh, that strange sort of juxtaposition between you know what an artistic and intelligent society rome was and the you know the bloody and sadistic and horrible side of it as well and it is a fascinating culture in in so many ways that they were you know so, you know so advanced such an advanced civilization and yet one capable of such cruelty and and casualness about death and you know all sorts of other things um Whereas I don't think when I was sort of growing up learning about the Romans that we, well, I suppose we knew about the gladiators. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That you would watch for entertainment. But, but you know, it's not just out of context killing. It's a sort of, it's like watching a live play battle scene, but actually the actors in it die. I mean, that's quite extraordinary. Um, what, a, what a strange civilization that happened. That was actual people. Uh, long ago now we can't you know touch or, or connect or anything but it was uh, uh, but isn't this uh, maybe this is the scene that he loves the emperor's new liar uh where and i mean this speaks to so much about i mean it's not it's a joke it's just a gag uh about um 
you know the doc the, the the doctor has decided to outwit Nero by by going you know only the most attuned ear could pick this up which is a clever move from our leading man he's all right but he's not that good ha 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 that's going to be the line isn't it that's going to be the line um uh but then of course because Nero is going for it everybody else uh, or is it Shakespeare says this common body like to a vagabond flounder upon the scream uh, uh, goes to and forth rotting itself with motion uh, and it's a, you know it's about how how yeah how uh, uh, you know how people are sort of very easily led and change their minds and how malleable that we are and how you know with a little bit of a sniff of somebody else's power or everybody else in the room i there was a, I read listened to some really interesting um podcasts by uh is it part of the malcolm gladwell series um or is it one of the other ones but anyway there's this podcast about things that we do you know wrong as as groups and avoidable mistakes and uh, there's one about how if you're in a waiting room and smoke starts coming from under the door um, if one person goes oh bloomin hell and leaves everybody is likely to leave but if nobody leaves nobody leaves and it's that we will only do a thing and that there's this story in this um podcast which i will look up after this uh, uh about a, a fire that started in a in a in a in a famous american restaurant a restaurant building um and they could smell the smoke and they could hear the burning um but because nobody said look this is happening we all need to leave everybody stayed there because the 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 urge to not embarrass yourself and leave if it's not a fire is greater than the urge to save yourself by leaving in case there's a fire, which is extraordinary and speaks to our sort of group mentality. Um, and of course, so I think we all understand that thing of going, the reason we laugh at those people in that scene uh, with with uh, with Nero is because also you kind of sort of go, but would you be the one to go, but I can't hear anything because you wouldn't want to be the one to, we don't want to be the one that stands out and actually there is a science behind it and it's because if you stand out within a tribe or within an animal group or whatever um that makes you more noticeable and, and therefore more likely to be picked off whereas you actually want to um you, you know not stand out and, and be and actually be part of a group because as a group you are stronger in the wild than, than as an individual so it's all very very complex and about you know um, emotional drivers and, and instincts and all of that so look yeah here we've got sev Chiria here now who's who's kind of now suddenly got got nero's ear uh and and it means that yeah that which which is why derek sydney has this sort of uh you know having having gone from the guy that was selling the slaves is he's now he's now sort of organizing what they do even in the gladiatorial can i call it an arena it's not really an arena although that's it's it's not bad from that uh, that angle when you see the sort of the the wings as it were of of the arena but the arena itself you know if if this were a feature film they would be well up high and there would be you know they would be in an amp you know, they would be in some sort of amphitheater wouldn't they uh uh whereas you know this is this is much more like his own private cinema <laughs> yeah this is his <laughs> It's quite it's quite a rough fight that actually. Oh yeah, hang on. I 
that they were really going at that hammer and tongs. Uh, so I think I've been unjust about the, the fights in the Romans when I was seeing those two gladiators practice because that, for a studio fight, having recently seen uh, the time meddler on the big screen, uh, that that battle was well done. It was at a good speed. Uh, yeah, really well done. And that's a great cliffhanger. Um, next episode, Inferno. But not, not that one. Um, so that... Uh, you know, that was a mixture of, you know, some quite high comedy. Loved that fight at the end. I'd forgotten how good that was. Uh, Tidjalinus Cupbearer, Brian Proudfoot. Bless him. Uh, Antirad the Seeker. I think she's only in that episode, La Custa. Um, but I, I like all the poisoner stuff. That's all quite fun. Uh, and again, it's quite bleak, isn't it? But it's, it's yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Um let's not go into a treatise on what's uh, acceptable i don't know anyway let's yeah Co comedy is more complicated than we give it credit for sometimes um i t i t my my feeling tends to be though that um, most people who try to make you laugh are just trying to make you laugh and i know we live in the shadow of um some very unkind comedy and very cruel comedy and racist and sexist comedy does 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 nobody any good really but um uh you know i th i I, th I think daftness gets i think daftness buys you some leeway uh anyway does me i i i i i enjoy uh what the romans does it's uh it's it's silly and it's farcical and it's uh, taking a, a you know a society that could be depicted you know it could be quite grim with all the the, the the death and abuse that goes on in Rome and they managed to they managed to turn it into um, you know the, the house of Ray Cooney. Um so listen uh, do I try and guess Josh's favorite thing yes. I think his line will be uh, he's not that good. I think that will be Josh's line. Were I not playing by Josh's rules, because I can do this, you see, I can I can say what I... I can invoke what I would have chosen had I not known it's a line. That's what I should have done last week. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, my favourite bit of that episode is the death of Tidulinus, which I think is hilarious and wrong and brilliant and very well done. And God bless you, Brian Proudfoot. Uh, I've, you know, I wish we'd somebody had been able to chat to you uh, about your place in Doctor Who history. Um, but I, uh, yeah. So I, but I, I still hold out a hope that that might be the scene that Josh chooses for his overall thing. Although it might be the the liar playing, and I do love that as well. I love that comedy of, uh, you know, holding a, a mirror up to foolishness. And 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 even though it's set in Rome, it, Rome, it, it feels quite British, that, doesn't it? That everybody sort of goes, oh, yes, this is absolutely fine, isn't it? Yeah, because because the boss says so. Uh, but maybe actually it's not. Maybe that is a, a, a human truth. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, I love that scene. That's very, very, very funny. I love that all the regulars apart from William Russell are having fun and what William Russell is doing is being all serious and unkempt but in a kind of sexy way 
but I love what Maureen O'Brien's doing. I love what Jacqueline Hill is doing. I love what William Hartnell is doing. Uh, it, it, it looks good. Some of the sets are very nice. Yeah, the 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 private arena, the sort of the you know the, the it's like he's sort of got sand in his living. He's just got a little little living room that he's put some sand in out the back. Uh, um, he's like his conservatory, isn't it? Here's my gladiatorial conservatory. Um, but the sword fight was really good there, so that was better than I'd uh, remembered. Because the bit where those two guys are practicing is looks a bit, it looks a bit anemic. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and play Josh at his own game and go. He shows the line. He's not that good. With you know asterisk, open brackets. But my favourite bit is the Tigellinus poisoning. Although I also, with honourable mention, to the farcical elements of the show, the performances of our regulars, certainly the three comic performances of our regulars, William Hartnell, Maureen O'Brien, and Jacqueline Hill. Uh, and also a nod to the scene where the Doctor doesn't play a sound <laughs> and everybody goes along with it, including pompous old Nero. Although I, I Also, I, I'd forgotten just how much flesh was on display. I'd forgotten actually all about that uh, that uh, that scene uh, in, in the sauna, which is quite unusual. Um, and certainly the close-up of Derek Francis's toes and leg and all up his... Yeah, as I say, Nero after dark. But anyway, um, yeah. So I'm I'm choosing the line. He's not that good, uh, or whatever it was that uh, that uh, Nero says. Let's see what wonderful Doctor Who commentator, video maker, reviewer Josh Snares says about. Episode three. For episode three, I have once again chosen a piece of dialogue. This one is filled to the brim of great quotes, but I had to nail it down to just one specific line. And it's a line by Nero, which is, he's all right, but he's not all that good. Which is during the scene where the doctor is playing the liar and it's so funny. It's really great to see William Hartnell going for his more comedic talents because he had a lot of experience in comedy and you could tell when you're watching the story as well. And my favorite stories are always the ones where he gets to be a bit more funny, such as the gunfighters and so many more. Yes, so hang on. Now I'm playing Josh at their own game. Suddenly things are looking up for Haydoke. Um, and of course, in choosing that line, it does then open up you know, acknowledgement of other properties of the episode that are strong, like Hartnell's comic performance uh, and indeed the scene that contains and breeds that line. So I can see what Josh is doing here. And I'm feeling even more foolish for, for choosing Nero last week. Anyway, I, I'm, you can't change the past, Toby. Well, you, you can if you rewrite it as a farce. Ha ha ha. So look, uh, I'm suddenly, uh, I've gone from uh, being being whitewashed to now it's, it's 2-1. Uh, so... I could even it up next week uh, and then go for the win with the uh, with the bonus thing. So it's all to play for. Um, and uh, I will see if I can uh, if I can uh, set alight my winning streak with an inferno next time. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Josh Snares, who can be found on Twitter at Josh 
underscore snares, but also their YouTube channel is where the action really is. I'm grateful to Josh and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include John Pettigrew, Thomas Payne, Ken Patterson, Richard Patey, Phil Pascoe, Andy Parkinson, Russell Parker, PDT, Mark Trevor Owen, Neil O, Jeremiah O'Connor, Steve O'Brien, Tom Neenan, Andrew Nixon, Paul Murphy, Chris Murphy, Sheila Moore, Ian Moore, Ian Morgan, Justin E. Monaghan, Phil Mitchell, James Miller, Nick Mellish, Steve Manfred, Glenn McLeod, Joe McLachlan, Philip Marsh, Daryl McLean, Kazin, Jakob Lumley, Paul Loveday, Andrew Llewellyn, Andrew Lester, Neil Little, Paul Inblad, and Erica Lear. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Oh, this feels bad to do in times like this, but it's what we do as increasingly um, creative people, if that's what I am. People who try to uh, earn a living from just talking out loud. I mean, it's a liberty. But there seems to be quite a lot of it going on at the moment. And I jumped on the bandwagon during lockdown because it was all I had was the internet and my voice. And I quite enjoyed doing it. And so uh, I'm sort of gigging outdoors less and less and producing stuff indoors more and more. Which means I have a Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash Toby where you can <laughs> facilitate this outpouring of unfettered vocabulary and loviness, probably, um, for as little as £3 a month. I mean, what better way could you possibly spend your money in a, you know, post-pandemic societal financial collapse than giving it to a middle-class man who thinks that talking somehow should generate an income for himself when people who graft really, really hard are struggling including those who listen to him talking who really I'm not I'm not doing this right am I anyway I've got a Patreon page uh, which for three pounds a month uh, you get bonus material advanced releases stuff that's just for you you're six months ahead with happy times and places uh, and you get your name read on the credits sometimes I think I just did that quite badly <laughs> but um uh, that it's not mock humility, it's a genuine uncomfortableness with doing it. And yeah, not so uncomfortable that I'm doing it, but that's because um, I, I'm, I'm not looking you in the eye as I'm doing it. There's also the Kofi model, because I know, look, I know times are tough. Uh, there's the Kofi model, which if occasionally you're feeling a bit flush or you just want to buy someone a coffee, and that someone is me, where you can go to Kofi, which is ko-fi, kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Uh, and that's, you know, without the monthly commitment that Patreon is. Oh, Patreon, by the way, you also get 10% off if you uh, do a year in one go. Um, so Kofi or Patreon. But what costs you nothing is to go to any of your podcast suppliers, give these five-star reviews and a few lines of positivity. That'd be great. Now then, I think my brain failed me a couple of times during that one. I was, it was Cautionary Tales, which is the podcast I think I mentioned in this episode. Uh, I record these outros a, a couple of days later, but I'm pretty sure it was in this episode I talked about 
a podcast that talked about yes it is because it's about how the emperor's new clothes thing isn't it how how we all in a group sort of you know follow the crowd but of course retails has a few stories like that and one very interesting one about how when it when a ship is going very slowly forwards instead of instead of backing and changing direction to go out of trouble it tries to turn even though it knows that the speed and momentum it's going at will not stop it from crashing but how we're programmed to keep going on the path that we're going because it seems a more efficient use of time than to sort of rip up everything we've done that's got us into this wrong position and turn round and go back and go round a different way, uh, even though one will lead to destruction and one won't. It's almost like we we don't want to we don't want to waste the endeavour that has got us halfway down the wrong path. All sorts of things like that in cautionary tales, which is um, it's not Malcolm Gladwell. It's Tim Harford does cautionary tales, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's the one that's got the stories. Uh, that that I've just told you about and that I refer to um, in the uh, in the uh, in the in the commentary that you've just heard. Although there is one called Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell that looks at some lessons we can learn from historical events that we've wrongly interpreted, and that has similar kinds of tales. So I might have mixed one up with the other. I mean, I've taken so much of them in, obviously, um, but I sort of it's what I listen to when I'm doing the garden or walking the dog when I'm not listening to you know either either I do a lot of listening to awful people because I go I don't live in an echo chamber so I shall listen to some grifter being awful because then at least I'm you know and uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's healthy it does my head in a bit um, and I'm not sure it helps me but um, anyway I do a bit of that and I listen to lots of Doctor Who podcasts as well uh, and I've just been recommended one uh, that I'm certainly enjoying uh, uh, the the cut of the jib of called Comfort Blanket, um, which is uh, sort of clever and erudite and cool people. Um, you know, cool cool as in not not what most people would think of as cool, but I think of as a really cool, you know, really interesting actors and writers and comedians and performers. Yeah, no, damn it, they are cool. Um, uh, talking about films and tv shows and things that they like that was recommended to me uh and i'm listening to that lovely actor yusuf kakor talking about die hard you know because that's what's floating my boat right now um i don't know why this post credits has suddenly come into recommending other podcasts why don't you give them your money as well and <laughs> just sack me off uh yeah uh, I've 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 never been a, a great networker, nor have I been a great maker of money. But secretly, I kind of like that. But also secretly, I also kind of like it when people then do do, do, do when I do when I do get a nice uh, a nice financial support as well. So that's a bit of cognitive dissonance, is it, or hypocrisy, or double stand? I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's it's the it's, it's this it's what this is. Um, anyway, so there we go. Um, money and podcasts—that's what this episode has been. Uh, it's oh, I tell you, it's a conspiracy. <laughs>